So um, we are continuing um, our study, like I said, called Kingdom Minded, where we are in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, you want to open the book of Matthew. If not, we have them on the backside of those notes on your chairs that you saw. Where uh, we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount, we're studying like, hey, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? Like, what does it look like to, to have a mind that is focused on Christ, focused on his kingdom and living for him? Because uh, Christ said, like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so if we're repenting, that means we're changing our thoughts. It leads to a change in action. And so we're looking at what does that change of action look like? What does it look like to have our minds transformed and to live for him? And so uh, tonight we're going to be looking at how you shall not lust. And so we're talking about how um, Jesus is going through just different aspects like new commands. And last we looked at how you shall not anger and how we are to handle anger. And so tonight we're going to look at, hey, how are we to handle lust? Because lust, it's a very awkward thing for us to talk about. But at the same time, it's something so necessary for us to talk about because so many of us face it and deal with it. And we struggle with it. And we wonder, how do we handle this as a follower of Christ? You know, and there's there's almost like a sense of of guilt and shame that comes with it. We're worried to talk about or worried how to how to handle. But I want us to find encouragement in the cross of Christ, that in Christ alone, we can be forgiven and find the hope and help and grace to fight against this. So um, I used an analogy last week that I thought would be uh, very helpful to kind of bring that back up this week. So the analogy I brought up last week is imagine that you had a campfire, you started a campfire in your backyard. You want to make s'mores, you wanted to do whatever you wanted to do. But then you decide, okay, I'm, you have your parameters, you have it inside all this casing, but then you decide, okay, I'm going to take it outside of what it's meant for. I'm going to take it outside, or you just leave it alone and let it grow and let it fester. Next thing you know, your yard is on fire. In your house. Uh, huh? In your house. And then your house. And, and, and then, yeah, exactly. Then your neighbor's house. Your neighbor's yard and the whole neighborhood, how it like slowly starts affecting everything of it. And how it is so important for us to keep that in container where like when it was here, it was totally fine. Like when it was inside the campfire, when it was inside its parameters, it was it was fine. It was it was meant for what it's it was it was being used, what it was meant for. But once it went outside of that, once it came outside of those parameters, outside of those boundaries that it was set up for, it just led to more and more and more destruction affecting not only us and our yard and our house, but affecting our neighbor's house and neighbor's yard and neighborhood. And so that's what happens when we allow these desires of, of lust to not only overcome us, but we let it fester and grow. Because what I want us to look at, like the core root of, of that lust is, is desires that are actually good. So what I mean by that is like at the core of lust, there's, there's a desire for love. There's a desire for acceptance. There's a desire for contentment. But when we contort it, we contort it and distort it and have it follow our own hearts that are bent towards wanting to satisfy ourselves. That's when it turns into the sin that we are to handle, that we're to Because here's the thing. We as fallen, sinful human beings, we are prone to want to do whatever it takes to satisfy those cravings, those desires of our heart, and whatever the cost may be. And a lot of times we have this plan laid out that God gives us to find full contentment, but we satisfy. We get satisfied and more content with cheap substitutes that creation gives us that ultimately doesn't satisfy that ultimately leaves us feeling more empty and more guilty and more shameful and i want us to know like we can be fully satisfied in christ because here's the thing as to be the main point for tonight if you're following along in your notes to be kingdom minded is to have a pure heart and a pure thought life 
To be kingdom-minded is to have a pure heart and a pure thought life. Because as we saw last week with our anger is our attitudes affect our actions. And so whatever's kind of the, whatever's the content of our hearts and how we handle that will eventually be lived out in our actions, the way we speak, the way we act. And so just with this, especially when it comes to these kind of desires, we need to have a pure heart and a pure thought life and live out of the overflow of that. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Again, we are in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. Uh, if you have your Bibles, that's where it'll be. If not, if you have the uh, notes on your seat, it's on the back side of that. You can follow along with us as we go through uh, where it says this. So this is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your heart, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body go into hell. Let's pray real quick. Dear God, we need you. We, we need your Holy Spirit. We need him to help open up our minds to understand this. We need him to open up our hearts to receive this truth and convict us with this truth and draw us closer to Christ and help us conform more into his image. So I pray just over these next few minutes that you will help us hone in uh, to what you have to teach us, that we will be, uh, we'll, we'll, We're willing to be vulnerable with this. We're willing to be open and honest about this before you, knowing that you will help transform us even more into the image of your son. And I pray that you will just give me your truth to say. That'll be your truth is what is said and not my opinion. And that anything that's of my opinion will be forgotten and lost. But it'll be your truth that is remembered, that takes root and produces fruit that glorifies and honors you as we continue to make Christ's name known. So I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, so what Jesus is telling us here, he's giving us two truths that we are to understand out of this passage. So the first truth that he's giving us is this, that lust starts in the heart. So lust starts in the heart. As we saw last week, anger starts in the heart. And this week, this desire of lust starts in the heart. In the heart. So here's this. You have heard it. It was said, you shall not commit adultery. So right there, Jesus, what he's saying from the start, he's continuing this process. Like, hey, you've heard it said of old, like these Old Testament, these, these Ten Commandments that you heard, this is what you've heard it say before. Like this is part of their Bible, if you will, that they had. Like this is what you've read. This is what you've heard. You've heard it say before, you shall not commit adultery. And what we saw last week is that the Pharisees would have like a very literal interpretation of this. So when it said like last week, hey, you shall not commit murder, they literally interpreted it as, okay, just all you have to do is not physically commit the act of taking someone's life. And so it's the same thing this week where the Pharisees, all they thought is, okay, it's, it's, okay as long as you don't do the physical act of having some sort of sexual relation with someone else's spouse, then, then that is okay if you abstain from that. And so, but Jesus is saying it's much more than that. It's a lot more than just the physical act itself. It is, there is emotions and desires that ultimately led to that act. Just like last week, when, when it comes to anger, it's not like someone just woke up one day and took someone's life. There was desires and emotions in that heart that got contorted and distorted that eventually led to that physical act being committed. 
And so Jesus is continuing with that here because he said, look, like in the physical court, like a physical human court, you can analyze, okay, someone took someone's life. Someone had this sexual relation with someone. But then Jesus goes on in the next verse, in verse 28, to say like, look, we need to focus on the higher court. We need to focus on God's court because God is the one that sees our heart and intentions behind it. Where he elevates, he raises up, a higher standard in verse 28 where it says this, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus is raising the standard to just impossible measures for us to hold up to. Because I think a lot of us can say like, okay, I can physically hold off, let's say taking someone's life. I can physically hold off, let's say having some sort of sexual relation with a person. But Jesus is saying, no, I, I want to get to the heart behind it. That if you even look at someone, if you have those desires in your heart over someone else, then you've already committed the act itself in your heart. And so lust starts in the heart. Lust, again, it's to crave a person. It's to crave that desire. And again, at the core of it, we'll see later, is at the core of it is that desire for love and acceptance and contentment. But when we distort it, when we, when we take it in our own hands, it turns into lust. And something I want us to understand is this process. Here's a process that Christ is giving us. It's thoughts to desires to actions. And so we're going to see that as a lot with a lot of these, that anything we intake into our eyes, anything that we have that we take in will eventually lead to thoughts that we have because that's what we're seeing, that's what we're listening to, that's what we're taking in. And eventually those thoughts will lead to desires that are stirred up within our heart. And eventually those desires, if they continue to stir up in our heart, will be carried out through actions in our life. And so thoughts lead to desires, lead to actions. And so Jesus is saying, look, if you even stir up those desires in your heart while staring at a person, while staring and desiring them, then it's the same. It's on the same level, the same playing field as if you physically committed the act of adultery itself. And what I want to understand here is woman in this passage, woman is referring to just a woman in general, not necessarily someone's spouse. So it's like it's just a person in general. Like a woman in general. And so what he's saying is if you stare after anybody like that with that sort of intent, it's like the same as physically committing that act. And so, like I said, a lot of us, I think, if we take the literal interpretation of that, saying, okay, like, I think I can physically hold off doing that sort of act, and I think I'll be okay. But then what happens if we go where we're talking to our spouse? How many times when we, let's say, stand for our spouse, we're about to marry, how many times in our heart have we emotionally committed adultery against them like that is the greater standard that is talking about because these desires ultimately affect everything else about our life that we might think that we can contain it and keep it under control and it's just one aspect of our life and maybe a dark part of a corner that no one else knows about but if we continue to let it grow and fester it's going to lead into just these acts that we live out or even just that desire itself can lead to something sinful and Christ says we are to not have that if we're to be a follower of Christ that we're trying to remove that as much as possible but here's the thing, Jesus goes even a step further where he was talking about Exodus 20, 14, where he says, you shall not commit adultery. That's where he came from. But then he also adds in Exodus 20, 17, where it says, you shall not covet. So it's meaning like you shall not be jealous or want something else that is not yours. And so in this case, it's talking about, hey, someone else, this other person that is not yours. That's not, let's say, your wife. It is not your husband, but you are desiring after this person. And that person is, let's say, not your property of people. They're not their, your relationship. And so when we are lusting after someone, we are also coveting after someone too. We're coveting after something that we ultimately desire that's not ours. 
That person's not our spouse. And so we are dealing with not only lust, but we're dealing with this covetousness, this jealousy, this desire of wanting something that's not ours, this, this almost mystical thing that we wish we could have. But here's the thing, at the core of these two desires of lust and covetousness and jealousy, there's actually three things I want us to get. There's, there's love and there is acceptance and there is contentment. Because, I mean, think about this. Who doesn't want to be loved? Who doesn't want to be truly loved for who they are? Who doesn't want to be accepted for who they are? Who doesn't want someone to accept them for who they are, flaws and faults and shortcomings and all? Or who doesn't want to be content with their life and what they have? Like I said, these ultimate desires in and of themselves aren't inherently bad. They aren't inherently evil. But just like last week when we talked about anger, like anger in and of itself is not a sin. It's an emotion that God has given us, but it's how we respond to that anger that can lead to sin. Same thing with these desires that we have with love and acceptance and contentment, that those desires in and of themselves are not bad. Ultimately, they're supposed to point us to Christ. When we take them into our own hands, and that's when it leads to lust, and that's when it leads to these different desires and actions that we live out that aren't glorifying and honoring to Him. And so... These three things, they're not inherently bad. But what we've got to understand from all this is only God can satisfy the desires of our heart. Only God can satisfy the desires of our heart. Because just think God gave us these desires in our heart. As contorted and twisted as they might be, ultimately they're supposed to point us back to them. In fact, in Psalm 37.4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, a lot of times people read that and go, oh, okay, that means like if I just follow God, he'll, feel, he'll fulfill all the desires that I want. He'll give me all the desires that I desire. But no, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, we have our hearts rest in him, then our hearts will be transformed by God, and our desires will become, or his desires will become our desires. That his heart will be transforming our heart. We'll ultimately want what he desires. And that's when we'll fulfill the desires of our heart. That's when we'll fulfill so many things that we long and crave for. But I think sometimes in our society, we just, we don't think God is enough. We always want to gather what we want. That, we, that actually begs the question I want you to think about. You don't have to answer, but I want you to think about this. Do you believe God is enough? Do you believe he is all that you need? Or do you find your identity, your satisfaction, everything in him or in something else? Because every single day we are worshiping. Every single day there's things that are fighting for our affections. And we're either placing them in the creator of everything or placing them in the creation itself. Are there still parts of your life that you try to fulfill yourself. There's parts of your life that you try to take the reins on and saying, no, God, I got this under control. I'll try to take care of it. Do you try to take matters into your own hands? In fact, when we try to take matters in our own hands, a lot of times we think, well, I'm, I'm only going to just go to the line a little bit. I'm, I'm just going to get a little bit close to the line. It's okay. I'm not crossing any lines. I'm not, I'm not fully stepping into it. I'm not fully going to that. There's even a Proverbs on this. And Proverbs where it talks about like, hey, how can a man carrying fire next to his chest, not basically have his shirt catch on fire. Like that old saying, like when you play with fire, you will get burned. Like the more we try to say, okay, I can, I can handle this. I can get a little bit closer to these desires, these, these things. I know I shouldn't delve in some, but it's okay. It's, the more we step closer, the more we step closer, the more we will get burned by it. That we're to remove anything from that. So when we, see, when we seek fulfillment of these desires in creation, that is when we end up sinning. 
In fact, a way I'll describe a comparison, a contrast, if you will, between the things of God and the things of creation. In fact, in the book I've been reading on Sunday nights for community groups with Jackal Crow, one of the things she talks about is when we, when we desire things of earth or we settle for things of earth more than God himself, it is like we are giving up a king's feast just to nibble on some apple cores. Like imagine we have this king's feast in front of us that we can go to, but instead we, we desire for cheap substitutes instead. That we have this giant feast in front of us. We'll settle for apple cores. But here's the thing we've got to understand, again, is that when we long after something that we shouldn't have. And a lot of times we don't think, it's not like we just wake up one day and we have this act. Or we wake up one day and all of a sudden these desires are just overwhelming in us. It's, it's step by step, little bit by little bit, how they grow in our life. So here's an example of how I'd say it. Is it could, you could be scrolling, let's say, through your Instagram or through your TikTok or whatever else. Okay, You're scrolling through your For You page or whatever else. And you decide to watch that same video one a little too many times. And you're like, well, I mean, yeah, that person's very attractive. They're very pretty. They're very handsome. It, it could be something very innocent at first. But it's like, you know what? I, I do want to see more. And that leads to you wanting to see more and more and more. Next, you know, you're down a path. You, how, do, how in the world did I get to this? Or maybe it's like you're scrolling through your timeline on Instagram and you stop just a little bit longer staring at that one particular photo. And that leads to wanting to see more and more and more. Next thing you go, how in the world did I get to this point? It all started with that one thing. It all started with that one tiny thing. It could have been so innocent. It could have been so pure at the start where it's like that person's very handsome. That person's very attractive or pretty. But next thing you know, it led down to something where it's like I'm desiring this person or whoever else. We must guard ourselves against these things. We've got to understand like, what our triggers are. We've got to understand like, what like, leads us down these paths. We must watch out for them. In fact, that leads us to our second point. If we are to keep our desire, if we are to keep our minds pure and our hearts pure, then we need to remove any opportunity for temptation. We've got to remove any opportunity for temptation. So look at what it says in verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body into hell. And so last week, as Jesus kind of gave us a passage, a way to like explain how do we respond properly when these situations come up, he's giving us the same situation here, how we are to respond. So he's literally saying, like, if your right eye causes you to sin... Like those same eyes that we saw in verse, 20, in verse 28 that was looking after this person with lustful intent. He's saying if that same eye is causing you to sin and stare at that person, you might as well just cut it out. Like which sounds very extreme. Like he's saying if, that, if your eye is causing you to sin, basically what sin means, it's causing someone to stumble or fall. So like if that right eye is causing you to stumble into this temptation, if that eye is causing you to fall into these temptations that you know you shouldn't be falling into... If you, need to, if you cannot stop looking at those people, if you cannot stop looking at those pictures, if you cannot stop viewing these different things, you might as well just remove your eye if it's going to keep having you fall into temptation. Like Jesus is saying, we need to take this seriously. Like so much that we, so much, he's saying, we need to take this so seriously because look what it says, that it's better for you to cut out your eye or cut out your hand than have your whole body thrown into hell. He's saying the cost is much greater when we allow this thing to fester and grow in our lives. So whatever we take in with our eyes will eventually become thoughts in our mind and will eventually lead to desires in our hearts. A biblical story we see in this is David and Bathsheba. 
But anyways, David just walked onto his balcony and he just sees Bathsheba across the road or whatever it is. He sees her and first he's like, wow, that's a beautiful woman. But he kept staring and kept staring and kept wanting more, kept wanting more. And it led to ultimately him committing adultery with Bathsheba. And then on top of that, Bathsheba ended up getting pregnant. So he's like, well, I got to cover this up some. So let me send Uriah, who was her husband. Let me bring him back home so that way they can try to take care of this. Hopefully that way people think it's his child. Next thing you know, that wasn't happening. So he's like, why don't I send you on the front line so that way he could purposely get murdered so that way he could try to cover even more up. I don't think David thought at the beginning of this that he would end up having all this happen before him. But it all started when he stared a little bit too long that one time he went out to his balcony. This thing, we, we don't think about this. We don't think in that moment. Like, we don't think in that moment when we first do this that we think it's innocent. We don't think it's going to harm anybody. We think it's just one tiny thing in this one moment. But then it can grow. We must be diligent at what we take in. We must be diligent at what we're watching and what we're listening to and what we're reading. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we are to take every thought captive. Think about it. Every thought of every day that you have, Paul says, we are to take captive. Why? Because our hearts are bent towards wanting to glorify ourselves. Our hearts are bent towards wanting to sin against God. So he's saying, okay, if these thoughts are going to lead to desires in our heart, we need to take every thought captive. We need to take everything captive. And we need to filter them through the word of God. We need to submit them ultimately to God. So let me ask you this thing about what kind of music do you listen to? Is it uplifting and honoring God or does it glorify man? Is there, let's say, explicit lyrics in it that stir up thoughts and emotions that we shouldn't have? Regardless of how, let's say, great the beat is or how popular it is what are the lyrics behind it what are they saying what does it cause you to feel and think what kind of movies do you watch are there let's say scenes in some of these you know that you shouldn't be watching or you know it's going to cause you to stumble and fall into some of these what kind of stuff do you allow on your timeline or your social media are there certain accounts or posts that you know you shouldn't be following or looking after or waiting for them to post more stuff? Or do you believe that you control all your thoughts? Do you believe that you do have everything under control? In fact, what Jesus says, we need to follow Colossians 3, 5, where it says this, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And here's what that's going to mean. Removing opportunities for temptation, that requires sacrifice. That requires us making sacrifice in our own lives. That can mean no longer participating, let's say, in activity that you love doing. That can mean fasting from social media or just the internet as a whole. That can mean you delete all of your social media accounts. If you just know every time you go on there, it's going to be a temptation, you just delete it. That can mean you fast from, let's say, watching TV or Netflix or whatever else. Or it could mean you just go the next step further saying, I'm just going to cancel all these subscriptions. Because if I know it's going to cause me to fall into these things, if it's going to cause me to sin, then, then I need to remove this out of my life. And that's going to take sacrifice. you got to know what, let's say, triggers these emotions and these desires. we got to submit them to God. we got to do all that we can to remove any sort of opportunity for temptation. I remember last week we talked about, hey, be angry, but do not sin. Don't even allow an opportunity for Satan to get in. 
It's supposed to be the same thing here. We're to make sure we don't give any sort of wiggle room. Don't even give a foot in the door for Satan to come in and tempt us. Because we know once we fall into a little bit of temptation, it'll be easier to fall into the next one and the next one and the next one. It'll grow more and more and more. Next thing we're standing so far away saying, how in the world did I end up here? In fact, when I was going through this, it reminded me of a, uh, of a buddy I had in college where I remember he was so tempted by stuff. He was so tempted by just what he would see on the internet and different things that every single night he would bring his backpack and put it in my room. And his backpack would have like his laptop in there, his phone, his Xbox, everything in there in my room. And he would just have someone else wake him up in the morning. Like that's how serious he took it. Because he goes, I know if I try to get on my phone late at night, I know it's going to happen. Or I know like if I have my laptop out or I know if I have my Xbox, I know these things are going to cause me to stumble. So if I need to put these in a backpack and put them in someone else's room on the other end of the hall so that way I don't touch them until tomorrow morning when it's daylight, then I'll do that. That, that's what he did because in his mind, he's like, I know I need to do this because I know I need to remove any sort of opportunity for me to fall into this. I need to remove all of that in it. But here's the thing. Jesus goes a step further in verse 30 where it says, look, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. So he's saying not only your right hand, but also, or not only your right eye, but also your right hand. Again, whatever we take in with our eyes will lead to thoughts, which will lead to desires, which will lead to actions carried out by those same hands. But think about this. I think a lot of us, if we remove an eye, I think, okay, I can be okay some because I still have my left eye. Like, I still have another eye to use. But a lot of us, if we remove a hand, like, that removes a lot of stuff for us, potentially. It could be writing. It could be texting. It could be sports. It could be whatever. Like, that could be a big deal if we cut it. And it was supposed to take it a step further by how serious it is. That if your eye caused you to sin, okay, remove that. If your hand caused you to sin, remove that too and throw it away. Why? Because we need to count the cost. We must count the cost of what it means to follow Christ. Because here's what he's saying. He's saying this is a small price to pay for removing just one part of your body, whether it be an eye or a hand. It's better to sacrifice that part of your body than have your whole body thrown into hell. That we need to count the cost of what this means. In fact, in Mark 8.36, it says, What would it profit a man to gain the whole world? To gain all the momentary pleasure they could ask for. Gain all that their hearts desired, if you will, from, from earthly perspective. Yet they forfeit and lose their soul. Just like last week, we talked about, hey, like when the people were on their way to the court, like settle it out of court, settle it sooner rather than later. Don't hold off. Don't prolong this because the more you prolong it, the greater the consequence, the greater the price will be. Same thing with this is that when we allow this to continue to grow in our lives, we continue to let it grow and fester. The price will be that much greater to pay. In fact, in James 1.15, it says this, Then desire, when conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. That, that we think in the moment, okay, that's fine. In the moment, we think it's okay. But when we continue to let it fester and grow and mess with it, and act, like just continue with it, it can bring forth spiritual death. It can bring forth greater judgment before God. And we don't want that. So that's why what we must do is we must remove the root of sin early. We must remove the root of sin early. I know some of you that definitely love agriculture and things like that. How much easier is it to remove, let's say, a seed from the ground before it's fully grown? And so waiting for it to grow into a gigantic tree that you have to remove. 
It's so much easier to remove the sin. It's so much easier to remove that seed, that root early on before it starts growing and planting roots and getting deeper. But we continue to let it grow and everything else. The longer we hold off, the greater the consequences that we face. So let me ask you this. Are there certain sins that you are indulging in, that you are participating in, that no one else knows about, that you know you shouldn't be engaging with? Are there certain people that you're hanging out with you know you shouldn't be hanging out with them? Is there music you know that you should delete off your phone tonight? Are there certain shows or movies you know you need to stop watching tonight? Here's the thing. Again, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait. You can start tonight. You can start tonight by removing some of these things. Because, yes, it might have been a long journey that brought you to this point, and it might be a long journey bringing you back to this point, but you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere in making the steps to come back. Now, again, just like last week when Jesus said, hey, look, being angry at someone is, is equivalent to murder. He was being a little bit exaggeratory with that, but he wanted to get the point across that this is serious. This is something we're to take seriously. And same thing with this week. That yes, it's, he was being a little exaggerated when he says you need to cut out your eye or cut off your hand. But he's saying we need to take lust seriously. We need to address it seriously. Because obviously if you, let's say, amputate parts of your body, obviously that's not going to ultimately resolve the thing. Because it says in Matthew 15, 19, like, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. It shows that like our hearts are deceitfully wicked. So if these thoughts and everything starts in our heart, yeah, of course, like removing body parts isn't going to help. But he's saying what he's trying to get across is we need to take this seriously. We need to address it seriously. We need to address the roots of our heart. And so just as this passage says we need to deal with sin and how sin would require radical surgery, our hearts need radical transformation. Our hearts need radical transformation. And here's the thing. Jesus is the only one that can radically transform our hearts and minds to be pure. Think about this. We can put all the filters we want on our phones and computers. We can delete all the social media accounts that we want. We can cancel all the subscriptions we want. But it still wouldn't be enough. Why? Because we're trying to do external things that only can be changed internally. We're trying to do all these boundaries in place that are trying to fix something internally. We have to have our hearts radically transformed if we're to live this out. But here's the beautiful thing about that is Jesus is the only one that can radically transform our hearts. Think about this. Jesus knows every part of our heart. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The parts that everybody sees and the part that nobody sees. He sees all the parts we love to show to people and all the parts that we try to hide from people that we don't want people to know about. He sees all of that. He sees all of that. You know what? He still comes to die on the cross for us. Jesus knows all the sins that we try to hide from others. Jesus knows those deepest desires of our heart for love and acceptance and contentment and how they have gone astray following the ways of the world. Jesus knows every time that we try to seek satisfaction in creation rather than the creator himself. But here's the thing. Jesus still chose to come down and die on a cross to pay for those sins. In fact, Jesus knew all the times. He knew all the times that we would want him above all else and all the times that we would not want him above all else. Past, present, future. He knew all of that. You know, he still said, I'm going to die to reconcile that person back to my father. I'm going to reconcile them back to have a right relationship with me. I'm going to forgive them for all of their sins for all of time. There's no sin too great that I cannot forgive them. 
He lived a perfect sinless life so he could be the perfect sinless sacrifice. Think about this. He was tempted in every way. You gotta remember, Jesus took on flesh. Like Jesus knew, like Jesus took on flesh like you and I. So he understands what we face. He understands what we go through. And he was tempted in every way, but did not sin. So he can empathize with us. He can understand us and he walks with us every step of the way. So not only when we repent of these sins and these desires and believe in Christ, not only does he forgive us for all of our sins, for all of time, but he also is with us every step of the way to remove these sinful habits we had beforehand. He helps us fight against these desires every single day. He helps us become more of the person he's called us to be because he is better. He is greater than anything the world could offer. He helps us make us more pure in heart, more pure in mind. He fulfills those desires of our heart of love and acceptance and contentment. There was always a phrase at the last church I was at from Philippians 3.8 where they would just say, Jesus is better. And naturally it's like, better than what? You could fill in the blank. Jesus is better. He's better than anything the world could offer. He's better than anything the world could offer us that we could desire after. He is better. That we count everything as garbage, as rubbish, in comparison to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That he is better than all of that. So let me ask you this. How is the state of your heart and thought life? If you had to evaluate it today, how would you say your thought life is? How would you say your heart is? Would, would you say that, that you could say it's pure? Would you say that you're striving after Christ? Or are you striving after the world? Or let me ask this, how are you actively trying to fight against the temptations of sin? How are you actively trying to fight against those that, that try to win the desires of our heart? Are you trying to do it on your own? Are you trying to rest in the power and presence of God? It's only by his power and his grace and his finished work on the cross that we can fight against this and be forgiven of this. And we do this. We do this. We fight these desires. We continue to strive after Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, by His grace, then we'll continue to become kingdom-minded and continue to make us pure in heart. He'll continue to make us pure in mind. He'll continue to make us the people of God that He's called us to be. And He forgives us every step of the way and is with us every step of the way. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're just so thankful for You. We're thankful just for Your Son, Jesus, and what He did on the cross. We're so thankful for just all that he has done. And I pray that we will just turn to him. I pray that we will just repent of any of these desires that we have will turn to you knowing that you are better. That I know just with all these things, we can feel guilt and shame and doubts and we feel like there's no way God could love us and forgive us. But you showed on the cross that there's no sin too great that you cannot forgive. You showed us that we are never too far gone from your love and grace and forgiveness. So I pray for each and every one of us that you'll help us fight against these desires day after day, moment by moment, that we will take every thought captive, that we'll continue to check our hearts daily and remove any sort of um, obstacles, any sort of opportunities for temptation as we grow and become more of the people of God you've called us to be, continue to be kingdom-minded and represent him well. It's only by your grace that we can do this. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.